Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. All right, Buccaneer fans, welcome back to another victory week for our Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers go to 9-3 and three after their 30-17 win in Atlanta last Sunday. You are, you are listening to the No Quarter Given Podcast as part of the BuckPower.com Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason, along with Peter Blake. Peter, you're back in the you're back in the chair this week. We missed you last week. I know you were a little under the weather. Had to get TJ Reeves involved to step in and fill in for you. Did a great job, but we're more than happy that you're back feeling better and back in the chair this week. Yeah, man. I mean, it's great to be back. And it was also good to listen to you. My compadre, my tag team partner is the great TJ Reeves would say. Of course, he is the great Freddie Blassie, the manager. And it's <laughs> always interesting to listen to Uncle TJ tell stories, especially that one about the Atlanta Falcons. you got to love it. I love his stories, and I love this show, and I love Buck Power uh, Podcast Network. And uh, it's good to be back, man. It really is. Uh, kind of scary there, but uh, it was not scary on Sunday, was it? I mean, not much doubt. Falcons were kind of in it. Bucks took care of business on the road. And now they're nine and three looking forward to uh, the Buffalo Bills coming to town at Raymond James on Sunday. That's right. Before we get to Buffalo, let's do a quick little recap of the game last week. I can actually give you some good play by play because I was in the building nice. in the ATL. Well, you were doing uh, double duty, my friend. Not only were you at the game, but you were on NSPN doing the pregame show with uh, Ruth the Truth and also the halftime show. I was like, let the poor guy watch the game. But you know what? You're a steady worker. You always are working, and I love that about you. That's why we're the tag team uh, champions of the world here. Yep, I was, uh, was, was, you know, we did a little pregame. We did a little post, a little halftime. We each did some postgame. So it was fun to be able to do that. Cool thing about it, I got, got to give Atlanta props. First of all, I was in Atlanta for the entire weekend. I was there. We drove up Saturday, Friday afternoon, got there about eight, 9 o'clock Friday night, was in town. A buddy of mine lives in downtown Atlanta, had a beautiful condo. Shout out to my man, Matt Dickman and company. We were there for a huge tailgate party for Georgia, Alabama Saturday. Had about 50 people at this guy's condo. Again, we were – hundred yards from the college football hall of fame, right in the middle of downtown Tampa or Atlanta. We were literally right across the street from Centennial park where the Olympics happened, the bombing and all that stuff happened. We were, you know, three blocks from Phillips arena, CNN center, the stadium. It was a 10 minute walk to Mercedes Benz. And, and I just had a great weekend Saturday watching Alabama, Georgia. I didn't, I didn't go to the game. But had a great time in Atlanta. Went to Buckhead to watch the game. Actually met TJ in Buckhead. We watched the Alabama-Georgia game with TJ. I picked him up at the team hotel in Atlanta, in Atlanta, in Buckhead. And we went and watched Georgia-Alabama. 
Were you surprised by that result, by the way, real quick? I mean, Alabama dominating, thoroughly dominating the Georgia Bulldogs with all that talk of their defense. But, you know, for me, Georgia's offense, very questionable, and they showed it uh, last Saturday night versus the Crimson Tide, right? I don't think the off. I mean, the offense wasn't great, but the Bryce Young won the Heisman Saturday in Atlanta with that performance. What a performance by Young. And, and I was more disappointed in the Georgia defense. I mean, not that they were going to shut Alabama out, but they got torched. It was 10-0 Georgia early, and then Alabama laid the wood to them the rest of the way. And that offensive line, and TJ and I talked about it on his Three Dog Thursday podcast, if Alabama could block Georgia's defensive line, they were going to have a shot, and they blocked very well, and Bryce Young ate them alive. Always good to uh, hang out with Uncle TJ and uh, watch the game together. Awesome stuff. All right, Sunday in Mercedes-Benz. First off, what a beautiful facility that is. What a first-class job Arthur Blank did building that facility. Beautiful. I mean, just state-of-the-art scoreboard. I mean, just a lot of great ambiance. And here's the most important thing that more owners around this NFL should do. Concessions. $3 for nachos. $4 for a souvenir soda. All the refills you want. They were giving away free hot dogs to fans. Hot dogs at the concession stand cost $1.50. And that wasn't a special. That's all the time. Every event, the prices are that low. So full credit to Arthur Blank for not screwing the fans even more after the ticket prices and all that by giving the fans an opportunity to eat the facility. Well, you know, the Home Depot money is uh, paying off there by Mr. Blank. That's a good promotion. Maybe, you know, maybe some of those Tampa Bay teams need to do that. But that's for another show. Yeah. I heard there was a lot of empty seats there. Is that true? There were there were some empty seats. Yeah, I, I you know we we had actually pretty good seats. We sat in the lower level, and we'll talk about this in a second. We sat right in the end zone, right on the kind of the back of the end line of the end zone where Gronk caught the fade in like this. It was the third quarter, I believe. So we were right there for a couple of his touchdowns and some action there at the end. But yeah, we had good. Yeah, there were empty seats. A lot of Buck fans in the building. Uh, but just a thoroughly enjoyable time in the facility, in the building. Mercedes-Benz, great job. Let's get to the game real quick. Mm-hmm. Again, the Bucks came out. I think they threw the ball the first 10 plays of the game. The first drive, they threw it every play. Yes, 13 plays. It's like, hey, let's get Tom Brady warmed up. I mean, <laughs> he, he might be already the MVP, but let's go ahead and cement that 13 straight plays of passing. They come out and absolutely shred that Falcon defense. They did. They did. They, and they get in, you know, first quarter, they gave up some runs that, that next drive Atlanta had the ball. They ran the ball for a couple big runs, long touchdown run, another long run by Corderell Patterson. So you're thinking, uh Oh, maybe there's a problem, but second quarter on, they really locked down the run defense and really contained that Atlanta offense And the game really shouldn't have been as close as it was. It should not have been a three point game at the half inexplicably, I don't know what the Bucs were doing, throwing the ball on the five-yard line there at the end of the first half when they were clearly running the clock out. I don't know why you either don't kneel down or just hand the ball off. Brady throws the terrible pass to the defensive lineman for the touchdown, makes it a three-point game. You know, the Bucs extended to 10. Gronkowski, we've been talking about, you, you and I both have talked, what a difference this guy is making in that offense with, with, the, with, the, with the ability to open up the middle of the field with Gronkowski. I mean, he's still getting it done. Four catches for 58 yards, two touchdowns, and and Brady just throws him a laser across. He goes across the field there, and it's 
it's to pay dirt. And you love to see this, Jason, because ever since he's come back, this offense has opened up and it almost seems like Tom Brady is now at another level. I mean, again, 34 touchdowns, 10 interceptions at 44 years old. He has to be the clear cut favorite for MVP. It's either him or Jonathan Taylor, in my view. Yeah. Those are the two, those are the one, two candidates at this point, him and Jonathan Taylor. Again, we'll see how the last five weeks go, um, you know, for both guys. But you're right. It's, it's, it's incredible to, to think that this guy could is at worst going to be number two in the MVP voting heading down the stretch here in the stretch drive. Yeah. And in this offense, you know, even without an Antonio Brown, they seem yeah. to be getting it done. I think the big time story also was not only Gronk, but Chris Godwin. I mean, franchise record. 143 yards, and I was talking about this tonight on the sports web on NSPN, and I love St. Pete. Bucks fans, you've got to be blessed with two great wide receivers that are not divas. They don't have the mentality of divas. Mike Evans continues to get it done. He's nearly at 1,000 receiving yards. Would be the eighth consecutive year he's done that. Simply amazing. And Chris Godwin, not flashy, just catches passes, is not in and out of a cop car. He's not on the news and and on Instagram with models on a bed and doing all this other crap. He is just one of the great wide receivers, one of the great young wide receivers in the game. And Bucks fans, uh, you guys are just in for a treat with this offense with Evans and Godwin, especially Godwin last Sunday. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I like the Bucks defense in the second half. They locked down. The defensive backs played really well in the second half. Carlton Davis back in the mix. You know, Jamel Dean got hurt a little bit early. But again, those guys back in Murphy bunting, and I like the pass rush. Vita Vea with two big sacks played really well, eating up that 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 suspect Atlanta offensive line. I didn't get your thoughts last week. Give me your thoughts on the Antonio Brown suspension, Mike Edwards suspension for the for the Vax card situation. I mean, look, the NFL did the right thing by suspending him, but you know you can't fake a vaccination card; it's a felony. But at the end of the day, I also feel like the NFL dropped the ball. And this is why, because you've got a player like an Aaron Rodgers who wasn't even vaccinated. And Jason, what you learn is, you know, even though Brown put that target on his back with all the red flags off the field, he was actually vaccinated, according to Dan Graziano of ESPN. Aaron Rodgers was not, no suspension at all. So I don't know where the consistency lies, but am I surprised that the NFL suspended him for three games? No, I'm not, because he put the target on his back. And now there's a question if the Bucs are going to keep them or not. I believe they do, but it is a distraction, although I will say it works in the Bucs' favor, and this is why. Thank you very much, NFL, for giving the Bucs the Super Bowl because now you're going to be able to rest Brown off that injury. You're going to be able to rest Mike Williams, and when those players get back, oh, baby, that offense is going to be even that much more explosive. I'm disappointed in a guy like Mike Edwards, though, that he he got wrapped up into this scheme or whatever you want to call it, sure. you know, because he's a contrib. We need him. He's a guy we need. Antonio Brown theoretically was going to be hurt and not playing this week anyway. So two out of the three games, he probably wasn't going to be available to play. But again, Mike Edwards and then John Franklin, who was another member of the Bucks previously, wrapped up in this whole buying this the, the fake Vax card. I don't have any problem with the league doing what they did. Aaron Rodgers is a little different because he told the team he wasn't vaccinated. Now, did they violate protocols in the building? Potentially. Yeah. I get that. And that's more of an organizational thing, maybe than an Aaron Rodgers thing. 
but for you to if for you to go out and purposely manipulate buy a fake vax card that's pretty sorry and i and to me they deserve to get suspended yeah it's stupid and it's dumb and you don't understand the reason why you would go to lengths of doing that but you know as uh as a a colleague told me off air are you really surprised peter that he did it i'm not because here's the thing with Brown, he's supremely talented and can take over games. But the problem is the red flags off the field. And if you just pay somebody that you owe $10,000, this doesn't happen. Yes. Pay the Piper, my friend, or pay the consequences. Especially for the Piper that the guy did the work for you. He cooked you the food. He was your chef. Pay the guy. What you burned the food, you ate it. It was good enough to eat. I mean, come on, it's like it's like going to Taco Bell, and, and you know, probably I should not go to Taco Bell. That's probably why I wouldn't have that acid reflux. Going to Taco Bell and eating half of the meal and saying, you know what, I didn't like the meal. Wait a minute, you ate half of the meal. You owe me money. Pay me my money. You're not right. getting your money back. Get out of here. So, you know, am I surprised that? You know, Brown was uh, was fine and, and suspended. I thought he was going to be fine, but you know, the NFL had every right to do that. And at yep. the end of the day, I wonder how it affects this locker room. Of course, with Brady being in charge of it, not much. I think it will probably ignite this locker room and make them motivated. But my problem has always been with the NFL and their consistency issue. For me, it's a far worse with uh, Rodgers because Brown, even though uh, he did manipulate the system by trying to get a fax, uh, fake vaccination card. No, he did get one. Right. He did get one. He still got vaccinated, according to the ESPN story. After the fact. After the fact, though. Right. But he wasn't violating protocols like Rogers. He wasn't going to a Halloween party. And he wasn't putting guys like us, media members, in jeopardy of getting COVID. That's been my problem. And the reason why is, first, Aaron Rodgers is a superstar quarterback. And second, it goes back to what you know, Dennis Phillips kind of said tonight. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. And also, it's a, sna- a sales analogy. And it's a rap sheet. Right. Brown has a rap sheet. Right. It's not what you say, it's how you said it, because Aaron Rodgers was slick about it, and Brown was so blunt and blatant with it. That's the reason why the NFL took their action. So, lots of controversy, but that's how I feel about it. Bucks moved to 9-3, and three, pretty much wrap up the, the South Division. Nobody's catching the Bucks at this point. New Orleans is in free fall. Carolina fires Joe Brady on Sunday morning out of the blue, which was kind of surprising. You know, the wonder kid from LSU only lasted a year and a half in the NFL. You'll see him back in the college ranks probably as an OC at a big school here pretty quick, but that was surprising move that coming out of Carolina, you know, we have not seen them yet, obviously until the end of the year, they're not, they're not going to be in contention. So the bucks are going to win the division. Now it's we're playing for the number one seed. We're trying to get that one seed heading to uh, within the last five games here. You're exactly right. And look, you have everything on the line. You have to beat Buffalo. You have to take care of business because you want to stay in that chase because Arizona refuses to lose. Even though, look, I watched that game with the Cardinals and the Bears and Arizona can be beat. It's just their defense. You know, they have big plays. They take advantage of those turnovers. Right. Um, And that's why they're so scary. So, of course, you want to get that number one seed and. The division is never done until you beat the Saints. Uh, ding dong, the witch is dead. And that's in a couple weeks. That team is still going to fight. But you have an opportunity to take care of business versus the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. And, of course, the Saints await 
hopefully if they don't flex it out on Sunday night football. I don't think they're flexing out Brady, though, on Sunday night. I don't know. That's what you hear. They may do that because that game may not as mean. You're right. You're right. They could. They could. They could. All right, let's get to our Buffalo Bills matchup this week. Interesting matchup. Again, the Bills lose a tough one Monday night. They lose to the Patriots who throw the ball three times and run it 46 times. Buffalo had the ball first and goal at like the five or six late in the game and went completely backwards and couldn't score a touchdown. So that was a demoralizing loss for Buffalo, really. If you really look at it from where New England came from to where Buffalo was, incredible how the Patriots have righted the ship and have taken control of that East of that uh, AFC East division. It really is. And we talked about Mac Jones before the season. Look, he was a 70% completion percentage passer to Alabama. You, you have a DLG quarterback that's getting better. And then on top of it, it's eerily similar to 2001's Patriots version of Tom Brady because you're able to run the ball. You don't turn it over and you're playing sound defense and you're shutting out the biggest weapon on the Buffalo Bills right now. And that's Josh Allen. But, you know, how bad is it for defense to know that the Patriots are going to run the ball? You're putting eight, nine men up in the box and they still gash you for over 200 yards, Jason Powers. Well, again, I'm not going to blame the Buffalo defense for that game. They gave up 14 points. You're the offense. If you're Buffalo with Josh Allen, $200 million man, Diggs, Sanders, Knox at tight end, you have to score more than 10 points. You had first and goal at the six to win the game in the last three minutes. You missed a 28-yard field goal that you got to make in this in this league. I know it was windy, but you got to make the kick. Sure. I don't blame the defense. I blame I blame the offense. The offense has got to figure out a way to win the game. That's a fair point, but you know that defense prides itself, especially Sean McDermott being the yeah. coach there with the defensive mentality coming from the Carolina Panthers that, look, you got to get off the field. You got to stop the run. You can't give up. I don't care what the weather conditions are at the, at the end of the day. If you're giving up 200 yards of rushing, you're going to lose. And, and you're right. But remember, one of those runs was a 65, 70-yard run early in the game. So after that, they did a pretty good job of shutting them down. I mean, type deal. But all right. Bucks all time seven and four against Buffalo, one of the rare teams that have a winning record against. Wow. What alarmed me is how few times they've played Buffalo in the 30, 45 year history of the, of the franchise. Only 11 times. Yes, only 11 times. And uh, there's some uh, there's some memories. There's some good memories. Sure. Uh, you know, one I, I know you're going to get to it, but one that goes back for me is 1991. And that's a Buffalo team that is in that K-Gun era, right? Jim Kelly, uh, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, James Lofton. It's at Tampa Stadium. And I remember listening to it on the radio because we, as we always talk about, those games were always blacked out. And I believe it's Eugene Marv. And you can hear the guy, and it seems like he's crying because the Bucks put out all that effort, and they had an opportunity to win it at the end of the game. They're on the eight-yard line with Chris Chandler because he had to relieve Benny Testaver. Pretty, you know, Bucks fans love Chris Chandler back then because everybody loves the backup quarterback. And the Bucks end up losing, but they gave the Super Bowl uh, contenders everything they can handle and still lose. That's the game I always remember. Yeah, and it's interesting. We only, I, I was that the only time we played that that really devastating K gun offense in the '90s. That '91 meeting, I don't, I don't think we played them kind of in their pro. I mean, other than that '91 meeting. We didn't play them again while Buffalo was dominating the AFC there with Jim Kelly and company. 
No, you played him in 88, and I remember this right. game uh, 10 to 5, and I thought it was on TV. It was not because it was also at Tampa Stadium. Yep. And my dad, you know, grew up as a Buffalo Bills fan. He always talked about great stories of OJ Simpson and the electric company. Yep. So he was still watching the Bills back then. And this was, you know, when Jim Kelly was coming there and he didn't want to play there, but he certainly turned into their uh, Hall of Fame quarterback that they always wanted. And you're exactly right. I don't think there was a time after that the Bucks played the Buffalo Bills. But of course, you'll be able to find that out if you go to buckpower.com and check out what Paul Stewart has got cooking. And you're, I think you're exactly right. They did not play them besides that 91 game. Yep. Uh, a couple memorable games back in 76. Dave Green kicked the first ever points for the Bucks in team history in the third game of the year against Buffalo, kicked a field goal in 82. The Bucks again, the B Buffalo was not very good. The Bucks were on the rise in 82 with member Leroy, Doug Williams, and those guys. They beat the Bills 24-23 with a goal with a goal line um, goal, with a goal line stand there late. Um, the, the Leroy Selman forces a fumble deep in Buccaneer territory late in the game. The Bucks win 24-23. You know, um, again, now Buffalo before Jim Kelly in the 80s were just as bad as the Buccaneers were during the, those mid-80s area. Marv Levy, I remember Marv was the legendary coach for the Bills. He came along in the late 80s and throughout the 90s. What a job Marv Levy did putting together, him and Bill Polian putting together that Buffalo uh, dynasty kind of in the 90s that could never get over the hump. You know, they went to four straight Super Bowls, the kind of the laughing stock of the league that they lost four in a row. But what a team they were with Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, all those guys that were legends in Buffalo during that decade. And to me, a legendary uh, Super Bowl uh, in uh, the old Tampa Stadium with the Giants versus the Buffalo Bills. Never forget it. Of course, Scott Norwood misses a 41-yard 41, yep. 41 field goal. Uh, and you felt bad for him because they went back to the Super Bowl. But that one chance they had the opportunity to beat the Giants, and of course, that's led by Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, you felt like that was their best opportunity yep. after that. They met the Dallas Cowboys and they met great train, great train Cowboys, no, no chance. And it always with those games against the Cowboys, it was a story was Thurman Thomas fumbling and he did it in a couple games and you felt bad for him. Uh, but you're exactly right. A fun offense. You were ha I was happy for Buffalo back then because like I said, my dad was a bills fan. You wanted to see them win. you know, they weren't a big city. You, you talked about it. Joe Ferguson, you had O.J. Howard on his last leg. Oh, not O.J. Simpson. O.J. Howard on his last leg. <laughs> that too. He might be on his last legs in Tampa too. <laughs> O.J. Simpson on his last legs. Why did I say Howard? I don't know. Uh, and Joe Ferguson. And, of course, yeah. Ferguson ended up being a Buccaneer quarterback eventually. But, by the way, going back to that first game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was the starting quarterback? I'm going to say, was it one Steve Spurrier? Very good, Mr. Florida State. Very good. Yes. The old ball Steve coach. Spurrier. The ball yeah. coach. Yes, the old ball coach. And by the way, your 91 reference at the Super Bowl. I was in the building in 91, that Super Bowl, slepping up and down Tampa Stadium, selling sodas as Whitney Houston belted out the national anthem and such during Desert Storm. So I was there that night. Right. Was it the greatest Super Bowl of all time, or were we as football fans in the moment 
because of Desert Storm going on. Like, we didn't know what was going to happen. Our boys were over there in Iraq yeah. and, and, and dealing with that. And, and you have football going on. Whitney Houston was unbelievable. The game was unbelievable. Here you have, you know, a team that has finesse. And the other team is led by Bill Parcells. Right. By the way, they eliminated Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers. And yes. that's a big-time feat. Because the 49ers at that point were a dynasty, even though the Giants won in 86 with Phil Sims, you know, at the end of the day, it was just a perfect matchup. And I think maybe we were lost in the moment, but still that Super Bowl to me is one of the greatest, if it, not the greatest Super Bowl of all time. It was because two things, because of all the drama that was going on militarily in right. the world, the world events. And two, we didn't, at, during that period of time, that 15 year period or so, we didn't have very many close Super Bowls. No. There were a lot of blowouts. Yes. And this one came down to the last play of the game. I can't remember the last Super Bowl that really during that period of time, during the mid-80s to you know mid-late 90s, that came down to the last play of the game. There really wasn't one. I mean, you had what? The, the Washington football team, a.k.a. the Redskins, with former Tampa Bay Buccaneer quarterback Doug Williams. Blowouts. It was 10 nothing, and then Doug Williams takes off. Uh, you had the Giants. Uh, who were they against in 86? What was that team? They were the Broncos? Yes. I mean, anytime the Broncos were in the Super Bowl, whether it was against the 49ers or the Giants, they were getting their doors blown yep. off. And then so, you had the Cowboy run in the 90s. They were blowouts. Those yep. were big big margins. And so, yeah, the, 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 the sense of the Super Bowl being a close game, I think that was one of the cool things about that game. And also, it was such a contrast in styles. The Giants were a run, run, run defensive team trying to take the air out of the ball. And then you had the original up-tempo, no fast-break offense in the Buffalo Bills. How cool is it to know that Bill Belichick was a defensive coordinator? And you had guys like, what, Lawrence Taylor, you know. All those guys. Oh, oh, unbelievable. That defense. Harry Carson. Yep. Everson Walls was playing DB. You had. Carl Banks. You had, and remember, you had the you had the quarterback controversy. You had Hostetler was the quarterback in '91 because Sims yeah. got hurt. Yeah, they stuck with Hostetler. Exactly, and Sims won you a Super Bowl, and there was always that relationship between Sims and, and uh, ourselves. There was friction there, so it was so interesting to see the way the Giants went about it. And then it's kind of like you know, you look at it at the end of the day, Bill Belichick. Uh, faces the Giants, his former team with that perfect team in the Patriots, and the Giants kind of do the same thing. They out-physical the Patriots, which is amazing, you know, how NFL goes in in cycles. But, boy, oh, boy, Otis Anderson, that game, uh, they could not stop Just him at all. Ran the, I, th I, think, I think the Giants had over 42 or 43 minutes of time of possession in that game, and that was the game plan. Slow the game down and make it a, 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 a – keep it under 20. Final score, Giants 20, Buffalo 19. Yeah. Well, I thought it was 19 to 17, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, but it was it was one of those kind of games. And the guy you feel terrible for is for Scott Norwood. Had a great career in Buffalo, missed the biggest kick of his career. Frank Reich was the holder, if you remember that. Yep. Now the head coach of the Colts. So, yep. so much history and so much guys that we know that are either coaching, Hall of Famers. And how many Hall of Famers were in that game? Buffalo and the Giants, a bunch. Uh, I mean, well, like uh, Andre Reed, I uh, met him before. Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Bruce uh, Smith, yeah, Parcells and Belichick. Hmm. 
I mean, you had Lawrence Taylor in the game. You had, I mean, just some incredible talent in that game. And again, what a, what a contrast in styles. And that was kind of the first team that really had a, had success with a fast break offense. Buffalo was a no huddle K gun scoring 35, 40 points a week. And the other teams in the league couldn't handle them defense offensively. No, and you know Sam Weish, who was a former Bucks coach, tried to kind of institute that yep. with the Danny Bengals. Welcome to the Jungle team. Of course, they lost to the 49ers eventually down uh, in Miami, but he was trying to do the no huddle, and of course, you saw variations of it. You know, run yep. and shoot with Jerry Glanville, and of course, Houston, who yep. eventually tried to beat the Bills, and then they they suffered that loss to Frank Reich in that playoff game. Again, amazing, uh, you know, to think that they were able to put that together with that offense because it usually never worked. I mean, you had some success, but, you know, defenses would catch up with it, not with that K-Gun, besides the Giants in the Super Bowl. Let's hit a couple notes from the 2000s decade. 2000, yeah. Carl the Truth Williams. We all remember him as excellent punt returner, number, kind of good, really solid number three receiver for the Bucks for several years, runs a punt back, and the Bucks win 31-17. 2005 with Gruden, Cadillac Williams, mm. 128 yards rushing, excellent game out of Cadillac and a W there. And then he had 2009, the first ever game the Bucks play up at Rich Stadium. Incredible to think between 76 and 2009, they had never played in Buffalo. And, and tell me, tell me, Mr. Uh, Mr. Blake, yep. who was the quarterback for the Buccaneers that day up in Buffalo? Byron Leftwich. Our OC today. Through three touchdowns, and you can find that all out on the buckpower.com podcast network. Paul had it, and I looked at it, and I couldn't believe it. I didn't remember it, but yeah. I didn't either. And it wasn't great. It wasn't bad weather. It wasn't like last Monday night, but it's crazy to think that they never played up there because anytime the Bucks would play up north, you're like, uh-oh, especially in the later months. It was almost like the NFL was trying to – play a cruel joke on the Bucks because you Jeez. see them on the sideline and they were shivering you're like oh they're gonna lose this game they yeah. got no chance but yeah byron leftwich with three touchdowns uh who was the quarterback for the buffalo bills i'm gonna uh i'm gonna say i'm gonna make take a guess jp lossman i actually thought it was and maybe i'm wrong about this no i yeah i think it is jp lossman yeah what? there was another quarterback that lost to the Bucks. that eventually was a Bucks starting quarterback. Name him. Lost to the Bucks and eventually became a Bucks starting quarterback. Alex Van Pelt? Nope. Rob Johnson. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the hype the hype that was Rob Johnson after yes. his one game. Yes. He had one big game. Yep. And he got paid by Buffalo. Big time. Remember that? Yes, and all that uh, talent coming out of USC. USC. USC, USC and, quarterback's not great. Not and remember a, the controversy with him and Doug Flutie. They benched Flutie in the playoff game, which turned into the into the Music City miracle. With They play Rob Johnson. Wade Phillips was the coach. Yep. Benches Doug Flutie going into the wild card game. Rob Johnson comes in, plays okay. But then the Music City miracle happens at the end of that game. And you remember the Super Bowl season for the Bucs. Of course, Brad Johnson suffers an injury. You got Rob Johnson that fills in. And I believe that they win a game over the Carolina Panthers at that point, 12 to 9. Martin Grammatica. 
Yes. Four field goals. Yes, including uh, uh, 50, 51, 50. Yep. And, and Rob Johnson, that game. Oh, my God. Just... <laughs> <laughs> and, and that Byron Leftwich game was year one of Raheem Morris. That was the first year of Raheem. You know, that whole, that, that short, that three-year window he had as the head coach as well. And obviously we see Raheem now as a defensive coordinator in Los Angeles with the Rams and such. So 2013, the one, the, 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 the legendary Bobby Rainey mm. snaps off an 80 yard touchdown run on the second play of the game rushes for 127 yards. It was the epic quarterback matchup of EJ Manuel versus Mike Glennon. In the Greg Schiano era, EJ versus Mike Glennon. What was worse? Actually, Mike Glennon that year was pretty good for the Bucs. Statistically, uh, I never was a big-time Mike Glennon fan. Of course, you had the Glennon mob that were trying to get him yep. to be the starting quarterback of the Bucs. But EJ Manuel was just awful that day. It's not like the Bucs defense was that good. And that's how bad Manuel was. He really was a bad He struggled. Florida State guy really struggled. They had their, you know, the, the Florida State guys. You had Christian Ponder. You had EJ Manuel. Really struggled in the in the NFL under Jimbo. That came out of the Florida State program. And again, uh, Mike Glennon, who just started the game last Sunday for the Giants in Miami, and they lost. So he's still in the league. You know, still, you know, again, we all thought he, Glennon showed some flashes. NC State product when he was with the Bucks early, but he's really kind of had his kind of kind of. Again, give him credit for staying in the league, but he's not really ever really taken that step forward as an elite starting quarterback. He's never going to be an elite starting yeah. quarterback. Uh, you watch the Giants game on Sunday, and that's the reason why. He is what he is. I go back to 2017. Who could forget that? The Bucs go down and score, and then their defense is not able to get off the field. In fact, it, it right here, the notes say that uh, you know, won it with a field goal of 14 seconds remaining. But what I remember is the Bucks take the lead, and then that defense it takes 53 seconds for them to give up the lead to the Buffalo Bills. And then, of course, the Bucks and Jameis Winston are trying to come back. Adam Humphreys fumbles at the end of the game. Yeah. So, so there you have your Bucks his Bucks Bills history again. Bucks lead the all-time series seven to four. Again, Sunday afternoon, late afternoon kickoff. We'll be on the air at Duckies again this Sunday. Me, you and I will be there. Yeah. Peter will be doing pregame with me and probably Blake Anthony will probably be with us. Halftime, postgame, we'll probably be on the air somewhere around 2.45, 3 o'clock-ish, I would guess. That yeah. right, Peter? Yeah, about 2, 2.30. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how much I can come up with. But it'll be live on NSPN. I love St. Pete. It'll be live from Ducky, 1719 West Kennedy Boulevard in Tampa for your pre-half and post-game editions of your NSPN watch party celebration extravaganza. Yours truly, Jason Powers, Blake Anthony, and all kinds of people that want to call the show. And even fans in the building. We had Bengal fans a couple of weeks ago coming up, the Tampa Bay Bengal fans. That is the that is the home of the Bengals fan club here in Tampa, one Ducky. So the cool, again, great thing about Duckies is they have all the games on. They We have fans of all the teams in the league are out there rooting on their team, getting excited. We'll have, I believe we will have Romo and Nance in the building Sunday, CBS, mm -hmm. 425. That nice. should be the, 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 the team, the, the broadcast team doing the game. So, again, you'll, you, you'll, I know you love Tony Romo on the air calling out plays and sure. all that stuff. Sure. <laughs> 
I, I mean, there was one guy that was on Sunday. I think it was Jonathan Velma. And he kept on trying to call out plays like Romo. And look, that's the reason why Velma, you are a great linebacker and you could diagnose yeah. everything and had, you were very uh, instinctive as a middle linebacker from Miami and the Jets and other teams and for the Saints. But you were not good on Sunday. You were trying to call out run plays and it was a pass play. Like, stop. Who do you like more? Do you like Tony Romo and uh, Jim Nance or do you like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman? No, I can tolerate them both. I like what I, I mean, I know, I know Tony gets a little bad rap for calling out plays and get a little too excited and all that, but I actually like Romo. I don't know why I like Romo. Um, you know, I like Buck and I like Buck and Aikman too. I don't have an issue with those guys. I mean, those guys do a great job and you know, they, they make fun of each other and all that, which I like too, but I like Romo too. I like Romo and Nance. I got no problem with either of them. I, I think they both do a good job. I think Chris Collinsworth has kind of declined a little bit in my eyes. We'll have <laughs> Collinsworth the following week on Sunday night. He, you know, he's too – everybody's great. Everybody's an unbelievable contributor, whereas at least Romo and, and Aikman will call people out from time to time, but Collinsworth just won't call anybody out anymore, and I don't like that. Call people out when they need to be called out. So, basically, he's got John Gruden disease. I love everybody. Everybody's yeah. great. Remember Monday Night Football? Everybody's yeah. great. And then he gets into the league as a coach. I hate everybody. I'm cutting this guy. This yeah. guy's so good. Yeah, I, yeah. I would like somebody, if you're going to be an analyst, be analytical with it. You know, give me something. Learn something. Let's learn something together about right. the game. And that's why I think. And be critical like, when you got to be critical. Right. Why not? That's your job. You're not here to sell Girl Scout cookies. Right. We're here to analyze football. That's your job. Do your job. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the game. Josh Allen in the passing game is going to be a major force in this game. That's going to be the thing. You know, if you're the Buccaneers, shut down the running game of Singletary and Matt Breida. Make this – I mean, again, I think you're going to see a ton of Josh Allen throwing the ball. They got good – they got good – they got weapons. They got Sanders, Diggs, Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis – they got players on the outside, so the Buccaneers secondary is going to be challenged, no doubt about it. And the Buffalo defense is good too. They got a good front four, a good, you know, good defense. McDermott's a good coach on defense. Leslie Frazier, who we know very well over the years, has been involved with a lot of Buccaneer teams and been up against the Buccaneers many a times. Your thoughts on the Buccaneer offense versus that Buffalo defense? Yeah, I mean, Frazier, defensive coordinator in the lovey years. Of yes. Uh, I think it's a close game. I think Buffalo is going to come back this week after that debacle or embarrassing display. 200 yards of rushing is way too much. I yep. expect the defense to play better. It's going to be a close game. I like the Bucks by three here. Uh, look for a shootout. Buffalo's desperate. They, I mean, they're not even guaranteed a wild card spot yet. They're right now, I think they're the seventh seed in the AFC. And nobody thought Buffalo would be the seventh seed at this stage. They thought they would be the one or two seed dominating that division. And there, this is a, you hate this. It's not a must win game, but it's a critical game for Buffalo. And again, I think the weather will help Buffalo be able to throw the ball with some efficiency. They're going to score some points and get some yards against the Buccaneer defense. Um, but if you're the Buccaneers, keep doing what you're doing. Run the ball. Don't be so pass happy. The Bucs were through the didn't run the ball very well in Atlanta last week. I was there, uh, saw it, you know, for for whatever reason. But stay balanced. Brady's still playing at an elite level. Let Brady. This is one of the teams Brady dominates. When he was in New England, he dominated the Buffalo Bills. Two and three lifetime. Jason Powers, amazing. 
I mean, that's so he knows this McDermott defense, how to, what they like to do. But again, if you keep Brady clean, I don't think Brady got hit last week. I know he didn't get sacked. No. Very no. clean. The offensive line, keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're getting great contributions out of Stinney, Kappa, uh, while Marpet's still recovering. Donovan and Worf's doing a great job. The tight ends are blocking, doing a good job in the, in the pass game. Keep doing what you're doing. I, I'm with you. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think the first, first team to 30 probably wins. I think the team that reaches 31st is probably going to win the game. I, I'm looking at like a 34-24, 34-27 kind of game, late afternoon tilt. I What I like now is that the sun, with it being dark earlier, it's going to be dark at Raymond James by probably halftime at the latest. I like the night game feel at, at Raymond James. Yeah, I do too. And then on top of it, the heat is taken out of it. So you don't have an advantage at that point. So yeah, I like it. So yeah, we like both look for the Buccaneers to go to 10 and three. We need a little help. We need the Cardinals to take a loss somewhere along the line here. They got a tough one Monday night against the Rams. That'll be a, that'll be a really good game. So let, let's, let's, let, let's your boy, let's have your boy Raheem help out his old team one more time oh. with getting a W. He needs to because that defense has not been as good as advertised. And with all those players, they have Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey. You got to play better than that. You got an opportunity on Monday night to do it versus the Cardinals. And let's hope for the Cowboys to swoon like they always do. You know, America's fraud against the Washington football team. Let's go Washington. That's right. All right, Peter, tell everybody one more time where they can find you on, on social media and one more time Sunday at Duckies. Well, friend me on Facebook. I don't bite. Peter H. Blake, of course. Uh, go like and subscribe to Sports Web on YouTube and definitely tune in to the evolution of Sports Talk Television Monday and Wednesday nights live on NSPN, I Love St. Pete. Join us for Ducky, 1719 West Kennedy Boulevard in Tampa on Sunday. And do three things for me, Jason Powers, my tag team partner of the world. Bring your passion. Bring your excitement. Just don't bring any nonsense. I'm your host, Peter Blake, giving you something to think about. That's right. Check out the Powers on Sports podcast as well. Both the video version on my YouTube channel, Powers on Sports, on the YouTube channel, Powers on Sports podcast. Come out with an episode every week on all your podcast platforms. This interview right here will be posted on that Powers uh, on Sports YouTube page as well for the No Quarter Given podcast. And again, buckpower.com is the place for all things Buccaneers. Give a shout out to Paul Stewart, who's back in England. I know he's celebrating the nine and three record. Going to head to, trying to head to 10 and three, trying to get the number one seed. We got a couple more weeks till Christmas. Have you started Christmas shopping yet? Peter Blake. No, I have not started Christmas shopping. No. As, as I was telling you off air, my credit score took <laughs> a big time hit. 38 points. Thanks a lot. Credits. I don't understand it. How can you pay everything on time and take a credit hit on Black Friday? So, no, I'm waiting for the last week, as I always do. <laughs> and rumor has it, you had a birthday here recently. And you got the old Mustang painted. Well, my birthday was in October. So I said, happy birthday. Merry Christmas to myself. Yes. My good buddy, my professional handicapper friend, Mr. Harry, the Greek of 1252 Chicago sports got it done finally. So I put new seats in it. I put new transmission in it. And now it's got a great looking paint job. So it feels like my birthday. It's not. So everything is good here. 
and uh, Clearwater. There you go, my man. All right, Buck fans, we'll see you at 10 and 3 next week as the New Orleans Saints were coming to town again for another home game. We will have another No Quarter Given podcast next week featuring the New Orleans Saints. Let's go, Buck fans. Let's see you out there, Raymond James. If you're not going there, you better be at Duckies Sunday afternoon for me and Peter's post-game, pre-game, halftime episode all over the Facebook networks and the Facebook platform. And we'll see you next week, Buccaneer fans. 10 and 3, here we come. Go Bucks! Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag Buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical Buck coverage, you go to BuckPower.com. And as always, keep listening to the BuckPower.com podcast network.